Hi, I'm Talia and I am the host of Compassionate Conversations podcast series two. In series two, we will hear from inspiring people who work for and with young people. Each episode is designed to share ways of empowering the next generation to ensure they have the tools to go on to have mentally healthy futures. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. Hi, Martin and Mariana. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, you okay? Hi there. Hi, uh, yeah, good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, same here. We're opposite ends of the country. I'm in North yeah. Marianne's in South Wales, so. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Thought you yeah. guys were in the same office. No, not today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so for you, it's lots of Zoom calls, I'm assuming. Yeah, the joys yeah. of working for a national organisation, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, amazing. Well, before we go in to talk about Play Wales and your particular project that you're working on, can you give us a bit of like an overview, a little bit about yourself and about your backgrounds before we get stuck in? Sure. Yeah. So I'm Marianne and I'm the assistant director at Play Wales and I've been a play worker for nearly 40 years and most of my career has been here in Wales and very, very lucky to work facilitating children's play, qualified play worker and youth and community development worker and really passionate about supporting children of all ages to make best use of their neighbourhoods for playing. Great. Yeah, I'm Martin Kingsheard. So I'm the Workforce Development Officer at Play Wales. So my job's all around sort of training and qualifications and events and things like that. Not quite as long as Marianne, but I've been working in play work for just over 20 years. Before that, I was a circus practitioner. So I used to teach kids circus. And yeah, I've been in Wales since 2006 and worked for Play Wales since then. Previously, my background was play work as well. I've got children of my own, two teenagers. So that's probably particularly relevant to what we're going to talk about today. Although I don't don't espouse to be a parenting expert. But yeah, I think some of my play work knowledge has helped along the road. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay, great. And what led you both to work for Play Wales? Well, just it gave me an opportunity to really help to support more people across Wales to consider the needs and rights of children to be able to play. And yes, I was just really delighted when a job came up that seemed to be kind of my dream job. Also excited when we appointed Martin because, you know, his circus skills of keeping balls in the air came really handy because yeah. there's so many, so many aspects of children's play that we need to keep, uh, you know, kind of moving all the time. So, yeah, it's been really lovely. A nice journey together working yeah. nationally for me. Yeah, I felt pretty fortunate, really. I was working in Nottingham. I had a young family at the time and working at a centre for disabled children or play and play work. And it was a job I loved, but we were also really keen to get out and move away from being in a city. And when the job came up with Play Wales, we decided to kind of up sticks and move from Nottingham to North Wales to live by the sea. And we've never regretted it. And I absolutely love the organisation I work for. And I love talking to people about children's play. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. I can see you're both really passionate about what you do. That sounds like such a nice like transition. Oh, so when was Play Wales set up? So had it been set up 
for quite a long time before you both joined or was that quite you know mm. new? Yeah so Play Wales as an organisation has there's, there's been some national campaigning around children's play for since the 1980s and uh, Play Wales as a charity was set up in 1998 and I was part of a national kind of another charity that helped to establish Play Wales as a charity. And but as an organization, it's been around as a charity, it's been around since 1998, it's established in 1998. So yeah. several oh. years. <laughs> yeah, that is. And um, what was the vision of Play Wales? The vision of Play Wales is to campaign for a play-friendly Wales to make sure that children have plenty of time and space to play and that they're allowed to. So, yeah, so the vision is making sure that children have enough time to play or making sure that adults in children's lives know how important playing is. Yeah, yeah. I think to add to that, you know, we've been pretty successful as an organisation doing that. Wales has led the way, really, on an international stage in terms of children's play, becoming the first country to have a play policy in 2002 and the first country to have legislation around children's play. And I guess really that's led us to some of what we wanted to talk to you about today, which is the Playful Childhoods campaign, because we've been really successful at working with government and with local authorities and with organisations that work with children. But we also really want to get our messaging out to parents as well, because we felt it's really important that parents get support, really, in supporting their children's play needs, because well, I suppose when, when we set up the Playful Childhoods project, so we now have a website, which is playfulchildhoods.wales or plenton.chwarius.cymru for the bilink, for the Welsh uh, website. The goal really was to provide something that talked about how parents go about supporting children's play and not necessarily loads of activities, 101 things to do with an egg box, for example, which is great you know kids need loads of rainy day activities but there's loads of websites out there that talk about that and what we wanted this project to do when we set up so we set up in 2018 the playful childhoods website what we really wanted to do was to connect with parents carers and grandparents and communities to talk about children's play is really important we all know that so how do we make sure it happens because what children say is plays best when adults aren't telling them what to do and directing it all the time so Hmm. how do we create an environment at home and in communities where children can play and do what they want to do and most parents and grandparents and members of the community do have good memories of being out and about in their neighborhoods and feeling connected with neighbours of all ages. And we just wanted to make sure that modern children still have the same opportunities because when we ask children what's important to them, being outside with their friends continues to be their favourite place to play. Mm -hmm. We're concerned, though, because most recently children have said that the place, that the outdoor place they're most likely to play in is either their garden or a friend's garden. There's a few problems with that from our perspective. Not everybody has a garden, but also we want to see children in front of their houses, you know, be in their streets and in their parks and in their fields and have legitimate presence in communities, feel more connected. So a lot of our work at the moment is promoting that, you know, trying to capitalize on some of the good things that the last couple of years have done. When, you know, one of the things in the pandemic, a lot of people will say neighbours were more present and in some parts of Wales, streets were quieter and 
people were the outdoors was really promoted as a good place to be. So we just want to make sure we capitalize on that and help people just to remember how, you know, the important role that adults have in making sure that children feel part of their neighborhoods. Yeah, amazing. And I think it's quite common that people understand how important it is for, especially for younger kids to play. And I don't know if it's a bit of a stigma, but people are assuming it's not as important as they get older. But I guess it just looks quite different to when they're younger, maybe playing with bricks and things. Why is it so important for older children to continue playing? Yes, so this is, I guess, been a focus of our work now is making this point that teenagers play too, even though they may not call it play. And it's certainly, as you've correctly pointed out there, Talia, it may look very different. It is still play behaviour. You know, we talk about play as being what children naturally are driven to do. So it's a motivation that comes from inside of them. They're not necessarily doing it for any particular reward or accreditation or medal. It's kind of children's natural drive. So if you work by that definition, it doesn't just stop because kids go to high school. It just, it changes. It sometimes gets louder. It sometimes gets messier, chaotic, possibly more sweary, more challenging, more risky. But that is just all part of that sort of development that young people are going through as they transition from being children to living in an adult world. And it can be a bit bumpy and a bit tricky, but play is still the best way for children to kind of explore their community and to get to know one another, to hang out with their friends, to get to know adults in their community community who are the people to avoid who are the people to become friends with so it is a real focus with our current campaign which is called when I was your age it's really important you know with teenagers just to remember that people are still children we're children until we're 18 we have a long period of childhood as humans to enable us to play we have 18 years of that puppies and kittens and goats have shorter childhoods for a reason we have a long childhood to give us plenty of time to play. There's still a lot going on with teenagers physically and socially. And it's important for them as younger children to have a laugh, try things out, change their mind about things. And they're still making mistakes and learning and shaping themselves. And they need the space to do that. And it's really important. You know, And there isn't a straight path from early childhood to adulthood and onwards. And that's the other thing that we need to remember as well. And what, what we've been trying to shape the campaign is just to remember that there are some distinct characteristics of childhood and of play and play behavior, but children have individual needs and likes and dislikes. And we need to make sure that the spaces that are created for them respond to that. Yeah. Amazing. And so you guys have just started talking about your campaign, which was called When I Was Your Age. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about that project? So your project is called Playful Childhoods and you've launched this new exciting campaign this year. Yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of a month long campaign that tried to remind people of all adults of all ages, how important play was. And a real focus on that was people remembering their childhood. And some of the feedback that we have is when, regardless of the, you know, we have people from, you know, kind of young parents of teenagers, right up to grandparents of teenagers talking about being out and about. And what tends to resonate is yeah, memories of, just wanting to muck about, wanting to be in neighborhoods. One of the memories that really resonated with me, somebody a little bit older than me, though, was talking about when she used to put her watch back 
if she was running a bit late for her to get home for tea or an evening meal. And I have real memories of doing that when we used to have wristwatches that you could actually <laughs> dial and, and change. And I have real memories of walking in when everybody was sitting around the table saying, my watch stopped and knowing darn well, nobody, now I realize nobody believed me, but I thought I had come up with the best idea of, of, of stretching out how that important time of doing nothing really, of sometimes just sitting on the curb watching watching other people do stuff so yeah so it's, it's been I, I, really nice yeah I remember the same I remember always like being in the park and especially in summer evenings when it gets light for like so long and just always been like I thought it was like four o'clock and it's like I don't know eight o'clock and they wanted me back at seven or whatever yeah one of the memories is an adult woman talking to a younger teenage girl and she's saying about her memories were of her mum saying come home when it's dark and she was kind of saying so that was you know it was nicely vague did she mean when it was getting dark when it was dark dark when it was very dark (laughs) we just but we and that's what we did we stretched those rules you know we played with them and you know and more often than not we made them work sometimes came into conflict but if that's not new behavior is testing things out and trying that sort of yeah testing and mucking about I have a slightly different memory, but similar related to time was one of my first times out with my brand new watch I got for my birthday to go and play on the estate, which was about half a mile, maybe even a mile away from where my house was. I thought I was running late and raced home for like 10 past quarter past four thinking I was late but I was sure my watch was saying quarter past five so I actually got home like 45 minutes early and I thought I was late just because I couldn't read the time properly so uh, and I remember but I remember being really annoyed that I'd missed out on kind of an extra half an hour of playtime because I couldn't read my watch properly so I never made that mistake again that's so funny that's so annoying as well (laughs) yes yeah but it's really powerful this stuff reminding people what they did because even when adults talk about doing stuff that they think now was a bit naughty, like, you know, knock a door run or stealing apples or, you know, some of those things, they always put it into, these are successful people. These are people who haven't fallen out of society. They always talk about, oh, well, it was a bit of mischief, wasn't it? It was a bit of fun. And actually, we need to look at that lens with the majority of teenagers as well, is because most of the time, behaviour that we might be seeing as being antisocial, loud, chaotic, naughty and in inverted commas it isn't it is just that mischievous fun seeking some thrill and excitement out of life mm-hmm. and I think we need to remind adults to look at it with those goggles on really is think of it as mischief think of it as them having some fun and then you know deal with the stuff if it does go the wrong way mm-hmm. but what kids are saying to us as well is the majority of the time they just want to be together with their friends and their friends are outside the front of the spa or they are on the kids playground and they're, they're making lots of noise so that's what they're trying to do is just get together with their friends and be. And this sort of discussion of us having a discussion about our own play memories is a really important tool and a really good way, I think, of of sticking up for teenagers, you know, reminiscing about our own childhoods, chatting to people about their teenage years and what they got up to. It just helps to build that empathy for teenagers being out and about, you know, and looking at it from a, you know, humor point of view is really, yeah. And also I think encouraging teenagers to talk to older people in their lives about 
what they did when they were younger. Just kind of, you know, it's a really, really important tool for us to just one reminiscing about our own memories and what we got up to and encourage teenagers to say, you know, to talk about it, it more. It's a really good way of helping them to yeah. advocate for their opportunities to just, yeah, to be out and about and playing and meeting up with their friends. Yeah, definitely. And so far through the campaign, what have you found they've been saying or just through like reminiscing on their childhoods? Well, I think most of the play memories are kind of what we were talking about is having enough time as long as we could read a watch, you know, having enough time to be out and about and freedom, kind of a real sense of freedom and feeling connected with either, you know, a neighborhood or a bit further afield. Teenagers do go a bit further afield for lots of reasons. Sometimes their friendship groups live in a wider age range or they just, they like that, the sense of freedom that they have to explore. So the memories are of adults have been really reassuring and helpful in shaping the campaign. The views of teenagers, when we spoke with teenagers as we were developing the campaign, and some of their comments were really sad and worrying. You know, they talked about coming into conflict with adults in their communities when they were just doing the sorts of things that we talk about doing and then talked about things not being the right size for them. So I think one of the memories that sticks in my mind from one of the focus groups for teenagers was they say, you know, we just, you know, we try to go on the monkey bars, but our feet touch the ground. And, you know, I just, every time I was kind of listening to uh, read the transcript back and I just had this vision of Elf. You remember the film Elf when he's just too, there's that bit about when he's, he's too big for the chair and he's too big for the shower and he's too, too big for Papa Elf's lap. And I just had these visions of kind of our, 14-year-old kids trying to sit on a bouncy chicken that's designed for younger children. And even that causes conflict. But those are things, you know, teenagers like to bounce and they like to spin and they like to hang and they like to balance. They do the same sorts of things that four-year-olds do. It's just those, yeah, puddles are designed for four-year-olds. And when they're jumping in, you know, when puddles are, you know, when we see little children jumping in puddles we kind of go oh isn't that cute but when a 14 year old does it it makes us go oh and I think we just need to remember that that's what they're asking for (laughs) you know they're not asking for the world they're really really not they're not asking for things with bells and whistles and shiny stuff they're just asking for places that let them explore and yeah and learn and develop and be with their mates a lot of the time yeah that's amazing And I think you guys, you've already really touched on why you set up because to, you know, encourage empathy and to like really listen to what their wants and needs are. Was there any other like primary reason why you set up this campaign? I think we want to support parents to help them to be advocates for their own children. Because I think, you know, we do see a lot of demonization of teenagers in the media. We tend to group them together, as we do with so much in life in this current day and age, because of the way social media and media reports on things, we group people into things, don't we? That people are polarized into, you know, you're a Brexit or you're a Remainer, you know, you're an anti-vaxxer or you're a, you know, and actually the reality is we're generally, as a society, quite a big kind of amorphous sort of grey somewhere in the middle sort of mass aren't we and the media likes to portray kind of teenagers in a negative light and I think we wanted to 
provide ways of supporting parents to help make the case that actually what most teenagers are doing is a normal part of growing up. We went through it as adults and teenagers are going through it now. It just looks different. There is more technology there. We've lived through three years of intermittent lockdowns and a pandemic, and that has changed the way that teenagers are seen in their community. I mean, I think coming out of lockdowns, suddenly seeing large groups of teenagers out and about in the community was a bit of a shock because seeing anybody out and about in the community was a bit of a shock. So it is about giving parents and carers and grandparents the sort of the, the language to remind everybody, no, children, they have a right to be out in their community. Teenagers should be out and about and they shouldn't just be on the multi-use games area you've had built or they shouldn't just be on the skate park that's there for you. Mm-hmm. They have a right to be everywhere. They have a right to be out in front of the spa. They have a right to hang out around the front of their own homes. And so it's about empowering parents to be advocates for their children and not to believe the hype that their teenagers are going the wrong way just because they're doing what every teenager has done before them. And, you know, I think teenagers are under a lot of pressure with school and with that kind of media hype as well to be seen that they're a lost generation or they're going the wrong way. And I think sometimes we do just need to be reminded as parents that actually it'll all be okay. Teenagers go through this period of time. It's a natural part of development. The kind of the risk-taking behaviour, the need to be with their friends, the desire to be part of a group and maybe dress differently or listen to different music or whatever is all a really natural part of growing up and finding out who we are. So we just need that reminder. And that really is what our sort of website and campaign is about. It's about reminding people of that. Mm. Yeah, definitely. How would you encourage the balance of like still, you know, spending quality time with like your own parents and family and also having, you know, that time, as you said, like out playing with the kids and with their mm. friends? Well, I think one of the, I think, biggest top tips is just to remind people that in their free time, spending time with kids their own age is going to be a priority for teenagers. It was for us, and that is natural, and it's not new. Teenagers are busy children. They have pressures in school. They're studying. Some have hobbies. They're members of clubs. They're studying. So their time is precious and their time with people their age. So it's important to remember that. And just because it appears that that's a priority for them doesn't mean that they don't want to enjoy time, but they are expanding, you know, their, I suppose, their relationships beyond their family. So I think it's important for parents to be realistic about how much time teenagers do want to spend with us. But, you know, some suggestions would be, and and I suppose lockdown has helped with this a little bit because we were together. So people were spending time cooking together or tidying up garages or moving rooms around and just, you know, make the most of that time. Again, encourage discussions about what we like to do. And I suppose low-key activities can be as useful for kind of bonding with teenagers as with younger children. You know, it doesn't have to be an all singing, all dancing sort of activity, going for a stroll in the neighborhood and to make it a little bit different. I don't know, maybe go out in a night or something or go to a nearby town or somewhere different. Just those sorts of low key opportunities are just things that children and parents would value I don't know, look back at old photographs, remind one and each of us that kind of how much fun we did have when they were little and talk about how that, you know, we can still do that sort of stuff. So we have just 
I don't really know how it's happened. It seems to have happened by magic, but we have an Amazon Fire Stick on our TV. And when we're not watching TV, it just goes to screensaver mode, which seems to scroll through loads of old photographs. And even if it's just my wife and I sat watching TV, the kids will walk through and they'll see pictures scrolling through and it will promote conversations. So it's, you know, it's just a complete random. It is, I think it is like Marianne was saying, those opportunities to jump on moments for connection rather than creating moments, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, we, we all complain as parents about being the dad taxi or the mum taxi. But actually, when you're driving your kids somewhere, that can sometimes be you're sat next to one another. So it's not a confrontational way of talking. And it can sometimes be where just bits of connection can happen or conversations can happen in the same way it can happen when you're helping tidy up a room or doing the washing up or, you know, those opportunities just to take the time to have a connection rather than make the time, if you know what I mean. It's funny you say that because I actually have like very like vivid memories from like, I think especially between like, I don't know, 13 and like 16 with where my dad would mainly just take me <laughs> to my friend's house and things. And I just, when I look back at like core memories with him, it was actually mainly just during those car journeys that we would like have a chat about things. And, but I think the nice thing is about, like, I look back and I will always remember like him always asking how I was throughout those journeys and like oh. just that constant, like dripping for your life, but in like different ways than when you're younger. And yeah, like they're special in like, I don't know, like if you're creating a memory, you don't think, oh, our connection moment is going to be on this like five minute car journey. Mm. <laughs> it's maybe mm. not what you expect. But then when you like look back at that time, it was actually, you know, it was still just as important. And making time for silliness is important as well. Even, yeah. you know, I think even the grumpiest mum or dad or the grumpiest teenager can find a bit, you know, having just a, a bit of silliness. That's playful in itself. So not being afraid. Yeah, just to make something a little bit more funny than it might be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember my mum saying, and I think maybe this might be common for a lot of parents. I'm not sure you guys would be, you know, <laughs> more aware of this. But I remember my mum saying when she was younger, she didn't want to reminisce much, like because she was actually quite a bit of a naughty teenager and would be out all the time with her friends and like just sneak out in hours so she wasn't allowed to and things like that. That when we were younger, she wasn't very open with us because she mm -hmm. didn't want to encourage us to go that way. And she didn't want to be like a bad role model, I guess. So like I actually always we're like really open with each other now but it's because I'm that much older but I was actually quite secretive as a teenager partly because I just never heard anything from when she was younger like do you get that much from like parents maybe not wanting to be honest about if they were like quite naughty when they were younger and yeah what would you say about that I think well, when I we think get oh uh, well Go on, Marianne. <laughs> well, I was I was just going to say, and I'll, I'll be quick because I know Martin would have something valuable to say on this as well. But I think when we talk about reminiscing, I think it's really important to say we don't really need to go into too much detail. What's important to remember is how that sense of that freedom made us feel and use it to try to understand what teenagers are feeling now. Mm -hmm. And I suppose in terms of 
your mum, although she kind of considers what she did was really, really naughty. It's a bit like Martin touched on this earlier. She's here to tell the tale. She's obviously raised a daughter quite confidently to a point where you have an open, you've said you have an open relationship now as well. So I think the reminiscing, yeah, we'll get some people that will go right down to the, you know, and remember how many minnows they caught in a lake. And then others that just say, yeah, I don't want to go into too much detail, but I know how you're feeling. I can remember feeling like this. And just that's enough detail often. I think it's it's more about reminiscing to a point where you remember how it felt to be 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. And that will help understand behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. No, no, it's fine. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say when we do talk people through their memories of playing, they very often go, but I wouldn't want my kids doing that. And I think the reality is we live in a much more densely populated environment now, which is much more closely monitored because of mobile phones and because of cameras on the street and all things like that. So it's actually much harder for kids to get away from the prying eyes of adults to actually do naughty stuff. We talk to people who grew up in the 70s and 80s and they talk about playing on building sites and down quarries and on railway lines and places are actually pretty difficult to get to now because, you know, rightly, they are made difficult to get to. So I think, yeah, there is that thing of parents kind of being worried that their kids are going to get up to stuff that they got up to. As we've said, though, we all get through it ultimately. And I think sometimes sharing, not everything, but sharing a bit of what we did as teenagers ourselves and sharing that understanding that we've been there, you know, we've drunk too much and thrown up in a graveyard, you know, it's okay for our kids to hear that. They're not going to completely lose respect for us because we were also teenagers once and did stuff. And I think it's good because I think it will like cultivate more honest and open conversations between like parents and their kids. Can we jump in and go from the questions asked from the other parents that we've been engaging with because they are itching to know the answers. (laughs) So any wisdom that you might have would be much appreciated. So the first ones, if our kids are closed off to stuff, these are mainly, they're talking about their older children, like teenage ages. If they're closed off to stuff and decline spending time together, do you have any recommendations of how to encourage a young person to do an activity with a parent? I mean, I think sort of building on what we've talked about, really, I think sometimes if you say, right, we're going to do something then that can actually put up a bigger barrier can't it so I think I'm probably talking more as a parent of teenagers myself now than I am as a play professional but I think it is about being responsive to your children and responding to moments when they are saying I need your time and not going actually I'm halfway through stranger things I'm not ready to have this conversation right now you know it's actually going yeah okay I will take the time to give you a lift to Marsh's house because I know that that might be an opportunity for us to connect rather than necessarily saying right we're going to stop everything we're going to do something together or it's about finding something that your teenage wants to do that you can do alongside them and finding maybe a shared interest I think it's about being responsive to your own individual child but I also think that the groundwork for that is made through play and it's made when your children are younger as well. I kind of feel like as soon as my kids went away to secondary school, I suddenly noticed, suddenly became aware, I think it was already happening, but suddenly became aware they had less and less interest in spending time with me and they wanted to do more and more independently. I only had the trust that they did those things because of all of the groundwork we put in when they were younger. So I think it's not just a case of your children a little and then they're big. It's a continuum and you have to build that trust when they're young, whether that's 
giving them the responsibility to walk to school alone or to cross the road or to pop to the shop to buy some milk or to walk to a friend's house or, you know, having those little bits of incremental freedom as they grow up through their kind of primary years makes it much easier when they're in secondary and they become teenagers and they're wanting to go to parties or they're wanting to spend all day with their friends and not with you. You've got some sort of level of trust and you've built a relationship with some kind of trust and respect. And I think that does, that comes through play and that ability to respond to what your teenagers are saying comes through being able to respond to what they're saying they want to do through play as well. Mm. Yeah. The early play is just as important in shaping your relationship with them as teenagers. Mm. And I think being realistic about what we can and can't do together, you know, my sons were really kind of good at scooting, being on a scooter and, you know, and I being able to say, well, you're really good at that you know, how do you do it was probably enough. If I asked them to teach me how to scoot, for instance, I probably would have ended up with, you know, a more serious injury than I would want to be speaking about now, because I would have been too old to learn that at that. Well, yeah, just not fit enough to learn that at that time. So I think kind of, again, building on the foundations Martin said is, you know, I remember working with parents of younger children and having a little exercise where we said, you know, what do you love most about your child or what's most unique about them? And I think doing that when they're 13 as well, what are they good at? And talk to them about it, show an interest in what they're doing, even if we don't, you know, even if we don't go on TikTok, find out what, how it works, find yeah. out why it's so interesting, you know, just showing an interest will go a long way. And just, rem- yeah, just yeah, having a minute to reflect on what is so special about that child at at whatever age is really important because every child will have something that is just unique or special about them. And that's not something that just happens when they're, you know, one or two or three. Yeah. How would you encourage just as adults with trying and will hopefully see the value in what their kids really are passionate about and really like in terms of activities, how would you encourage teenagers to care and maybe value about their parents passions and cares like for activities there's a bit of me that says we're the grown-ups we kind of have to accept that our kids aren't going to think we're brilliant at stuff you know my no I said before I'm a circus my background is in circus so I juggle like fiery you know walk on stilts unicycle all this stuff that I did really more when I was a younger man and people say oh your kids must think you're brilliant no, my kids think I'm lame. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, because that's what your kids do. They do think you're a bit lame, but they will come through that ultimately. And I think that's the reassurance we need to give to parents who are going through that right now with teenagers is they will come through it and they will grow to value the things that you're good at, whether that's you're good at giving hugs or you're good at cooking omelets or you're good at fire eating or you know you're good at your job they will get that stuff and you just have to continue to try and be a consistent force in their lives I think as a parent yeah I think that's a really like a good tip I think for parents because I think with the questions that we have there is a lot of I think parents are feeling disheartened I think with the fact that their kids aren't showing any interest whatsoever or they may be taking it personally and I think it just that reassurance for them, I think, will go a long way of that actually, you know, at some point they will. And <laughs> but also they're not at that age where, you know, they have their own priorities and they are ultimately a lot younger. There's nothing more frustrating to hear as a teenager than to be told you're just going through a phase. But as parents, we all know about the terrible twos. We know the terrible twos is going to happen. 
we also all know that teenagerness is going to happen. I think the worst thing you could do is call it a phase. But the reality is it is something we all go through. We all remember how maybe not horrible, but we had a relationship with our parents that was perhaps a bit bumpy. And we all know we all came out. Generally, we came out the other side of it. And I think we just need to remind ourselves it's part of the process of growing up and it will change. Mm. Yeah, I think one of the comments that keeps coming through that parents are finding the most frustrated is just saying how like bored they are and how they can't be bothered to do anything and would prefer to be on their phones a lot of the time. Do you have any ways of dealing with that? (laughs) Well, there's a few things. I think it's important to remember that the last two years in particular has been stressful for all of us. And most of us used our phones to stay connected to people outside of our households. That's not going to go away now. It has become very much kind of part of everyday lives. And so it's, yeah, I don't want to shirk your your question, but I think it's really important to remember that those, you know, our devices have become very important parts of our lives. And we know that even before the pandemic, older children were reporting using their phones to stay connected to feel, to make plans with their friends. I think, so it's a bit kind of what Marta was saying earlier, is building that foundation from right through childhood to make sure that children have the confidence to be out and about. And what they'll probably be using their phones for then is to stay connected and make plans with their friends. So if they, you know, the the most important thing is making sure that they feel able to get out and do things socially. Yeah, so it's it's not really an answer to your question, but I think it's really important to remind ourselves that, yeah, the last two years have been bumpy for all of us. And we've all hit points where we've thought, can't be asked, can't be bothered doing that. Actually, this is, you know, it's just easier for me to do this now, this way. Yeah, I think we can, you know, as parents, we can model good use of technology as well. You know, putting our phone down to have a conversation with our own children is Mm. a good start. But also, I think, you know, in some of those sidelong conversations, I've talked to my own teenagers about the difficulties that I have with social media, you know, and how that affects my mental health and having breaks from social media and things like that, because it can get wearing, even if that doesn't then promote an immediate change in behavior, it's very unlikely to at least your children then are hearing from you as an adult that you also sometimes struggle with social media and that a break might be a good idea. And they're hearing that messaging. But I think it's like a lot of things we see in our teenagers as well is not just to assume because they're on the phones, it's a negative behavior. There are lots of positives coming from technology. I was amazed that my daughter has developed a massive interest in, I'm not even sure how you say it, being a chiropractor. I'm not sure if it's chiropractic or chiropracticness or whatever, but from watching a YouTube. So she's just gone down a YouTube kind of rabbit hole looking at things she's interested in. And now she's enjoying what or she not so much now, but she was enjoying watching videos of people being clicked and manipulated and stuff like that and was interested in that as a career. So, you know, you can't guarantee just because they're watching another YouTube video that it's just something that's kind of frivolous. It might actually be something that's, you know, we have the world at our fingertips. Not everything that's on our phones is just frivolous or negative. It can be a learning opportunity or it can be a positive connection with the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because I've got a daughter and she's nine and she like she always goes on my phone and like looks up animal videos because she's obsessed with animals And I think, yeah, it's nice to see that. I don't know. I think there maybe is a bit of a 
stigma that just watching things is just like is doing absolutely nothing for you you're not coming away feeling any more you know healthier in yourself but actually she knows so much more about animals than I know (laughs) and Mm. she has like she just literally is like could be engrossed with like learning about the world of animals and yeah and that shouldn't be any different than her you know pouring going to the library after every day after school to read a book about animals you know it's important to put it into perspective in terms of what is at our fingertips these days I was a teenager in the sort of late 80s early 90s and you know Adults had the same concerns then about screens and as being on computer game consoles, you know, all of that stuff. But the reality about us then is if I was sat in my front room watching TV or I was in my bedroom playing on a games console, I was completely isolated. So I was genuinely kind of shut off from the world. And that isn't the case now because our teenagers are are on screens and they're connected to all of their friends at the same time. So it's a very different sort of being disconnected because you are actually connected whilst you're disconnected if you Mm. you know what I mean so you know it's it's about looking at it through the lens that teenagers see it as which is yeah I'm on Minecraft but I'm also on FaceTime for five of my friends and they're in here with me Mm. you know what I love about this conversation with you guys and a lot of what you're saying is that even from like me coming into it I was not really expecting you guys to just be showing so much like acceptance I think is what I keep hearing anyway of like accepting them for where they're at what they're interested in accepting the fact that they don't want to do things and like really honoring their wants and needs and preferences with things whereas like I almost half expected that you would come with this like like hardcore like way of getting almost building a society's like perfect child of being like no this is how you cultivate play and this is how you get them to be interested in these things and actually that's so unrealistic and I think that is what so Mm. many people are looking for but actually I think you guys are showing so much empathy and acceptance and that spin on it I think is yeah amazing and I think I mean Obviously, the message we want to get out in terms of teenagers playing is a really, really positive one. But we also know the challenges both the teenagers going through and parents of teenagers are going through. So one really important message on you know, quite a serious note is don't be afraid to look or ask for help. You know, if you are worried, seriously worried about your teenager, try to put worries into perspective. But there are services available for, you know, to help parents to get a little bit more support if some teenagers are showing perhaps a little bit more worrying behavior. And it's really, really important for parents of children of all ages to remember to look after themselves as well. If you feel well and supported, then it's going to be easier for you, yeah, just to support your teenagers. So don't lose touch in terms of what you like to do. And it's important that we meet up with friends and that we're trying new things if we want to. And yeah, I think our message is we want to be, have a very positive message about older children playing, but we also want to make sure that people, you know, do take the advice and support that is available if they feel they need that extra bit of support. We do have a whole section on the Playful Childhoods website specifically aimed at parents to support them both to stick up for teenagers, to help parents stick up for themselves, to understand some of the things that we've been talking about a little bit more. It's been written by parents of teenagers. So I really encourage people to go and have a look at those on the Playful Childhood websites. I'll link your website into this podcast so that people can go on and yeah, 
find out even more than what we've spoke about. I think and it's also worth just mentioning as well our socials as well, because if you search Playful Childhoods and Clenton Dodd-Quaris on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we have regular social media stuff going out there as well, which links to some of the resources that Marianne's talking about. Amazing. Yeah, we will link these as well. And in finishing, can you guys answer the question of what is your mental health manifesto? Our mental health manifesto. Yeah. Is, so, oh, yeah, you go. Well, our message about good mental health is how important playing is to support children to look after their own well-being. And when children have time and space and they're allowed to play, they're pretty good at finding moments of being well. And so we would just, from whatever age the child is, make sure children have that opportunity to play. They're really, really good at looking after their own well-being when we give them plenty of opportunities to play. One yeah. message. Oh, yeah. I couldn't put it better, Marianne. That's great. Yeah. That, was, that was amazing. Well, thank you both so much for joining me. And I hope the listeners learned a lot. I did as well along the way. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for the time. Thanks so much for listening to Compassionate Conversations Series 2. You can find us on Single Parents Wellbeing. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in to our next episodes. See you soon.